You're an all-star, get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star, get the show on, get paid. Welcome to another episode of the NRL All-Stars Podcast. This is Barnsley back for the second preseason series of the Supercoach episodes. And it's an exciting team preview day for Queenslanders especially. We have the Brisbane Broncos Supercoach team preview for 2023, as well as the Gold Coast Titans. So to do this, I thought I better get a Queenslander on board to do this podcast with me. So our special guest for today is none other than Wilfred Catfish Z. Wilfred is the co-host and one of the founders of the Supercoach Champions podcast. Fantastic podcast to get into for your Supercoach as well. So jump on there. They've got one episode out already this season that I heard. And also a Broncos fan, but more importantly, Wilfred is also the overall classic Supercoach champion taking out the 50 grand from, I think it was 1996, Wilfred, or this as well. <laughs> it's, it's probably closer to 96 than it is to today's day. <laughs> uh, thanks for having me on, Barnsley. It's always good to jump on. You know, I love talking footy, super coach, and, and I always have a, a blast debating the Broncos and anything else Queensland related with you. <laughs> uh, it is always fun. And Wilfred is a, uh, a pretty fair Broncos supporter, I think. So it's going to be an inter- interesting discussion, though, because I'm pretty down on the Broncos this year. I was pretty down on them last year, and I think that I was fairly warranted. But, uh, we're going to get to that in a moment. Let's first off just quickly have a reminder being the second episode of the Supercoach season on what the episodes are about, what we're going to be doing and what's coming up. So each week we're going to have a, a double team preview episode that comes out for Supercoach. We will have the NRL talk and footy episodes coming back in March when the season is closer to kicking off and those will just talk about everything rugby league. Uh, but these episodes will continue on just as weekly Supercoach episodes as well. But for now in the preseason, we're just focusing on the Supercoach. So if you want the Supercoach, that's what you're going to get. Two more teams will come up next week. Uh, I was going to get Luke Garrity in to do the Knights and Roosters with me this week, but that's actually going to happen next week. So next week you'll get the Knights and Roosters. This week you get the Broncos, Titans. Let's get into it. Brisbane Broncos. Having a look at... Oh, look, I, I think there was a pretty disappointing season last year. Uh, certainly, I've seen two different sorts of Broncos supporters. Wilfred, some of them have said, oh, look, you know, they did well. It was, you know, if they didn't finish the way that they did, they would have been in the top eight easy. They're in the top four for ages, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yeah, but you can't pick out pieces of a season, right? Like how they sort of finished the season was very much on point for how I felt about them for the season. And I, I sort of thought that they finished where they deserved outside of the top eight. And there's obviously a lot of different things that come up in Brisbane with the Broncos. And that's been the case for a while now. Me and you have chatted ad nauseum about the culture, uh, things happening behind the scenes there. Kevin Walter's la- lack of coaching ability, which which apparently Selwyn Cobbo agreed with as well. He must have listened to the podcast. So, I mean, how, how did you feel about last year? And how do you feel about the year coming up? Look, I think... It's interesting you said that you felt they finished, you know, you're pretty down on them. And then, I mean, they finished ninth technically in the end. So if you were down on them, that means, you know, you didn't, you didn't think they were a top eight team, but you've thought they were bottom four, which I would have to say, they're obviously a little bit ahead of that. 
Yeah, they, they were slightly better than bottom four, so I will give give some credit there. But um, <laughs> but they certainly played like a wooden spoon team the last couple of months. So I mean, there's that too. <laughs> Definitely, and I think that's the thing with the Broncos, right? Mentally, they are just not quite there, and maybe it's a culture thing, as you've highlighted. And you know, there's certainly a good good argument to suggest that that's part of it. Uh, <laughs> I think it's also the fact that. You know, they are a pretty talented squad in terms of actual physical ability, footy ability. They're just not very bright, a lot of them. <laughs> and look, I feel like I'm pretty fair as a Broncos fan overall. You know, sure, sometimes I'm going to look at things with a bit of a maroon and gold-coloured glass, but I feel like, uh, you know, this time last year, I talked to you about Kevy and how I really didn't like him as my coach, and I was hoping that we would have gone in a different direction, but, you know... We've got to we've got to deal with him. He's he's the coach again. There's obviously criticisms about him from last year with Tyson Gamble is probably the first to say it. Cobo more recently is copying all the heat, and you know there's been other chat off like not so media, not so public in the media where you know Adam Reynolds has been credited with a lot of the technical kind of coaching and designing of set plays and stuff like that as opposed to you know Kevy being the guy. Which look some coaches just aren't good technically right they can be good in other ways and you know I, I not to say Wayne Bennett is like that at all because certainly you know at his peak he was doing everything he was doing all aspects of it but his part that he's always always excelled at was the man management the player management side of things he just knew how to talk to certain players and how to get the best out of you know different personalities and things like that I feel like towards the back end of the his career, coaching career, obviously still coaching, but what he's done is he handed over a lot of the technical stuff to his assistants and he's focused on the player management with the Broncos, right? Like I feel they could succeed. Kevy could succeed if he just focused on looking after the players and not, you know, getting involved with as much of the game planning. And I mean, even the team selections, I, I kind of feel like he shouldn't be the sole person in charge of it because the, so you basically want him just running the water? Is that? <laughs> you, no, that's you, Alfie's you job. You left out a fair job. bit of stuff there. That's Alfie's job now. <laughs> what I mean is, I think with Kevy, he look, he's good in the sense that I think the players do like him, right? They respect him as a player. They respect him as you know a Broncos stalwart, a, a key cog in our history, right? He's been involved with a lot of the success over the years, but mostly as a player. Uh, so he gets that kind of Broncos spirit, the culture, whatever you want to call it. But as far as a you know a coach these days, I, I think it's pretty clear he's not you know, he's not in the upper tier, not even in the upper half. I'd say no. Look, he's not. He he should be an assistant coach or a representative assistant coach, and that's that's like where his career is, in my opinion. Um, yeah, look, I, now, I, I, I just I, we've all, we've always agreed on not loving Kevin Walters as a coach. And I, I think, you know, you touched on how he coaches and stuff. It really, at the end of the day to me, and I, I think is a fair common sense statement, doesn't really matter how you coach as long as you get the wins, you know, it, and everybody coaches differently. All the winning coaches all coach differently with different styles. And there's certainly things that they're more hands off or, or hands on with. It doesn't really matter. You know, if you get the wins or if you win a premiership or you get to a grand final, it doesn't really matter how you got there or what your coaching style is. You know, it's obviously yeah. worked with him. It's not working. Uh, and what I will say, like, we'll, we'll go into the, the gains and losses and look at the roster and then the super coach chat. But what I will say with the Broncos, 
Um, I'm going to sort of give them a backhand and then defend them here. Selwyn Coppo, like what he said was ridiculous. And to, to be stupid enough to say that um, is is pretty bad. But you touched on respect. I think the respect for Kevin Walters has waned year on year. And I don't think there's enough there now from a lot of the players. There was different stories about things that go on at training there and, and the behind the scenes and whatever. I, I just think that some of those players just really... Selwyn Cobbo deserved a, a kick up the butt for what he said. Um, but I'll, this is the part where I'll defend him, though. I don't understand why uh, more people didn't pick up on the fact that this was a podcast from four months ago. It was in the media four months ago. It was a story four months ago. And now they just rehashed it because there was nothing else to talk about in the preseason. And everybody's jumped on it and started smashing Cobbo again and made it a story. And the Broncos have actually come out and said, oh, we're going to sanction him. You knew about it four months ago. Everybody did. Like, I'm all for jumping on Selwyn and saying, you're silly, you're an idiot, you're disrespectful, you did the wrong thing. But we already did that, you know, in fairness to the young fella. He doesn't deserve a second crack at it for the Broncos to turn around and say, we're going to punish you this time. That, That really was weird to me. How did you feel about that? Look, totally agree. And I think it's part of the unfortunate, you know, there's obviously benefits to being a big club like the Broncos, uh, you know, one team uh, in in a major rugby league demographic until obviously the Dolphins are now here. But, you know, that's part of the side effect, right, of being the media darling so all the attention gets focused on it. So anytime something does blow up like this, you know, the Broncos are, are forced to kind of react even when, like I do feel like they've already addressed it previously, right? But now they've had to publicly. Of course they did, yeah. Say, but, yeah. But, but if you're a well-run professional organisation with a good culture and strong leadership and strong coaching, the Broncos at the top and also Kevin Walters would come out and say, there's nothing to see here. I don't know why you guys are talking about it. We've put this to bed four months ago. We've had our chats. We've made up with our differences and we've moved on. This is from four months ago. There's nothing to talk about. And, you know, that, that would be strong leadership to me. It would be common sense to me. It would be strong coaching. Uh, but the Broncos haven't done that. They've kind of just gone along with the public pressure and things and done things. And I've, I've thought that we've seen some of that in Kevin Walters' coaching as well. I don't want to get into a talk and footy podcast on this one, Wilfred, because I can go on for days about the Broncos and how I feel about them. But yeah. let's talk about the gains and losses, especially continuing super coach ramifications. The gains, you know, they brought in Jock Madden from the Tigers. Uh, they brought in... Marty Tapao recently, uh, he's going to be a low-minute bench forward, which on a minimum deal I think is fine. People have sort of thought that it's maybe better than that. I don't think that it is. Reese Walsh is going to be the big super coach champion as far as the gains coming in for this year. He's going to be the most popular one to look at. With the losses, uh, Tyson Gamble played some good games. He's gone over to the Newcastle Knights. Zach Hosking over to the Panthers. Asako has finally gone again, uh, and Ryan James retired. Reese Kennedy got some minutes last year. Branko Lee, T. Marie Martin, David Mead. None of these guys, you know, Turpin we ended up with as a New South Wales Cup hooker. So this, none of those are real big losses, I don't think. But there's no real big gains aside from maybe Walsh. Uh, I did like Tessie New. I, I did think that if they persisted with him, he could be better. But at the same time, I sort of understand maybe he doesn't fit in with their plans and positionally they don't really need him. So... Overall, Wilfred, I'd say you're pretty much evened up. Like, I don't think that you're going to have too much of a different roster than what you had last year. And certainly talent-wise, I think it's about the same. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. Uh, I do see the addition of Walsh being pretty significant because, like, and and stop me before I rant too long about Tessie as a fullback, uh, but (laughs) 
I feel like the gap between Tessie, you know, ball in hand and Tessie without ball in hand was just so significant that while Reese gets a lot of flack because he's defensively not the strongest, like he still puts in the effort. He still chases down the play. He he recognizes what's happening and he, he there's a sense of urgency to to his defense. So he misses the tackles, sure, but he's at least he's there, right? Whereas Tessie, he's just not there. He's jogging to where the play is unfolding. He's 15 meters away and he's not there to miss the tackle. That's why there's such a big difference. And I think if you're not like uh, constantly watching the Broncos like I am, you're probably not picking up on that. And hence why, you know, you see the lowlights of Reese Walsh uh, in the Warriors missing tackles mm. and being the last person, you know, falling off the tackle when someone crashes over. Like, all I can say is at least he's there. He's a body that's going to, you know, assist the other defenders, whereas Tessie's just not there and he's not organizing the line and stuff like that. So I do see Walsh as a pretty significant upgrade at the fullback position overall. And just, I mean, he also offers a lot more in terms of his kicking because he, I mean, from what I understand, he's going to, he's got a nice left foot kick and he's going to do a lot of the kicking on that side of the field. Mm. Whereas Ezra Mam much more comfortable running the ball. And, you know, that it was very uh, predictable at the back end of the year because, you know, Reynolds is such a good kicker of the ball that every team knew to pressure him. But now we've got Walsh out back that so that they can easily swing the ball down that way. It makes a little bit of, uh, mixes it up a little bit, I think. So there could be a little bit more variety for the attack there. But, like, overall, I think you're right. You know, the Broncos finished ninth and ninth in terms of attack and defense last year. I feel like there's improvement defensively that they could make, but I, I mean, Walsh is pretty exciting ball in hand as well. And I, there, there is a world where they can improve on their point scoring potential as well. Yeah, no, that's all fair. And I, I can't disagree with any of that. I don't think they're going to make the top eight. I think they're a smoky, I'm not going to say bottom four at all, but they are a smoky for it in that um, if they capitulate mentally and internally and they have sackings of Walters and different things, I, I can see it all just falling apart culturally for them. And that just sort of mean it's a mailed in final third of the season and they could end up dropping the bottom four, even though that wasn't really fair on their performance. I can't see them top eight. Um, but the draw is interesting to look at. And so for Supercoach especially, one of the big takeaways from this draw is that they don't have their first buy until around 16. And then they've got the buys in round 16, 19, and 25. So pretty much for a final third of the season, it, it's pretty it's pretty bad for the Broncos because they've got those three buys from round 16 to 27. Uh, but what that also means is that to start with Broncos can be quite beneficial because obviously the buys late. They are going to have that origin period though as well. But they do start off with the Penrith Panthers. Um, but the interesting thing is that they start off with the Panthers away, which is obviously going to be a hard game. Uh, but I spoke about on last week's podcast with Billy how at the start of the season, every team's, you know, especially round one, kind of up for it uh, and uninjured and mentally prepared and ready to go. So it's a bit easier to take the Panthers on, I think, initially than maybe a few weeks later. Uh, but then they have four out of the next five games at home, which is the old, you know, Broncos blessed draw, which you hate hearing about because you don't believe in it. But we were looking <laughs> at this little compartmentalized part for Supercoach. Round two to six, four out of those five are at Suncorp and then round four, it's actually at Redcliffe anyway. So just down the road. So they, they have a really good five week run there where they go Cowboys, Dragons, Dolphins, Tigers, Raiders. Um, and those are really good matchups for them. Save 
maybe the Cowboys because obviously they have those you know quintessential tight derbies where they end up with one point wins and things like that. You know, the, the, yeah, sure, that might be there. So for the first couple of weeks, a bit tougher, but the next month after that's really good. And then after that round six game, they then hit the Titans as well, which is only down the road. So you may as well count, you know, two to two to seven is all in Queensland, and most of them are at Suncorp. That's a really good run for the Broncos. Uh, it's it's hard because I don't love a lot of the options which we're about to talk about. But for Supercoach, you know, the, the first couple months, you know, it could be a lot worse as far as uh, when you're looking at playing the draw a little bit. And also, if you're wanting someone in your team through to that round 16 plus period, then, um, you know, the buy doesn't come up until late for them. Yeah, look, totally agree. I think you're right in that, you know, the the way that early draw is shaken out is played out really, really well for the Broncos. Part of it is because this season uh, they're going to be, they're going to have to play the second half, a fair chunk of their games have to be played at the Gabba. So I feel like there's some sort of contract where they have to get X number of de- games in at, at Suncorp each season or something like that. I, I wouldn't know the specifics, but I think that's played into why they've had to concentrate a lot of the games early on. So the back half of the season definitely is a, a bit rougher in terms of not just the the buyers being around, but they, they're going to have to spend a lot of their home games playing at the Gabba, which is uh, obviously not a rugby league stadium. So, yeah, mm. I think if, if you are going to look into the Broncos, I definitely agree early on is when you want to get onto them. So, yeah, it's tough though. You're right because there's the options themselves are pretty risky all around, I reckon. Yeah, look, I don't love the options. Let's talk about them. So Supercoach-wise, when we're talking about guns, first of all, in our guns category, we've obviously got Payne Haas. And he's he's been consistently one of the Broncos' best players for, the you know, four, four years. Um, but he comes into this season at 662400 as a price tag. Now, again, you know, the, look at the old sort of terminology if you're worried about that being that expensive. You know, before the salary cap went up, you're talking about sub 600. So it's a really good price tag for Payne Haas, but it's a really good price tag because it's his, since he's been starting after he debuted the last four years, it's his worst season. You know, he's averaged 63 points a game in 2022. Prior to that, it was 68, 75, and 78. Couple of concerning things here. Uh, now I'll say it. Right, I've got Payne Haas as my first pick front row forward. Not necessarily locked in and definitely going to stay there, but he's there because there seems to be some value there, and he's obviously you know reasonably consistent. But when I had a look at the numbers, I did waver a little bit about this, so I might change my mind later on. But the few concerning things for me, Wilfred, are he's now got a four-year trajectory of data, which has gone down easily every year in his performance. Uh, easily. And, you know, minutes-wise, there was one outlier in 2022 where we averaged, you know, 72 minutes a game, but all the rest has been between 60 and 64 minutes. So his minutes haven't really fluctuated aside from that one year. The other three are pretty consistent. When you go through last year, you know, having a look at the numbers, he only had the one try. Um, That's not too bad. The year before he only had one try, but years before he had more. Uh, That was his only 100-plus score, okay? His raw base was 53, and his base attack, so his tackle break and offloads was 10. Raw base was down three. Uh, sorry, base base attack was down three combined for last year. But when you're looking at the year before, you know, it, I mean, t- 2019 as an example, let's go back even further. When you're looking at quality pain half years in Supercoach, uh, he had a 76 base base attack. So when you're looking at going to a 63 base base attack, that's a 13 point downswing on what his base base attack is. And that's always a big concern for me, Wilfred, because when you see that sort of story play out in the numbers, 
that's all your runs and your work rate and your effort and just what you're doing. It's not like you're talking about scoring more tries or getting more tries to the line break. That's just your raw work as a front rower. So when that's going down, you know, by 13 points, that's that's a real big swing over the last few years. 75% 70 plus in 2019 and 90% of his games were 60 plus. When you're having a look at last year, he's only got 55% 60 plus, which is crazy because he wasn't a 60-60 gun last year. And then he's only got five out of 20 games that were actually 70 plus points. That is not the story I thought I would be telling about the really consistent, you know, grinding out those 65 to 75 score scores every single week without fail, pain, hearts. It was a very different story for him in 2022. Yeah, and uh, look, not to discount all those numbers, but I'm going to throw one big spanner in the work there for you. In round eight, he hurt his shoulder. So that's when he got his first AC joint injury. That was uh, So if you look at his first six games, he was actually averaging 75.8. Was yep. 74.3 of that in base and base attacks. So effectively, first six rounds of the year that he played, he was healthy. He was the old pain house, effectively. Does this AC joint uh, in round eight and immediate drop like 48, 53, 60. That's his next three games worth of scores. He missed a game actually uh, in round nine as well. Uh, although that that might have been the uh, stepping on the shoes incident, bloody yeah, Calvin that might be. Yeah, he, he scuffed those white shoes up. <laughs> exactly. So look, that 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 was a, a bit of a kicker there. Then round fourteen, he hurts his other shoulder. So a left AC joint was in round eight, and then round fourteen, uh, after playing Origin, he's hurt his right AC joint, and he carries these two injuries. Then he suffers a rib injury in the back end of the season as well. So he's busted, basically, and he's carrying those uh, injuries for the remainder from round eight onwards. So I will, you know, I'm not saying that excuses everything because there's yep. the other stuff there, but I, I think it's quite significant that he was basically the normal pain house, banging out a 75 average up until that first injury. And every, ever since then, he's been carrying that injury and then he added a second injury. Like, it's pretty tough to, you know, make tackles and try cut the ball up and, uh, you know, get your arm in, get your arm free to to offload potentially when you've got two, you know, busted shoulder joints, right? So I can, I'm, I'm happy to give him a pass. Like right now, if, when the team picker launched, I was also on the same, mm-hmm. in the same boat. I put Payne Haas straight in there thinking, look, at the very least, I reckon he's looking at a 70 average minimum, if not back to a 75 average like he was previously. But, uh, you know, looking at my team balance and things like that, I'm actually looking at maybe not starting him and looking at a different option. Cheaper option, yeah. I, I, I thought about that same thing as well because I sort of thought that maybe his 63 goes to a 68 and there might be only sort of a five-point swing. But th- the other side of that is that, well, you know what, if you're going to leave him there because front row forward is, um, is a bit barren and, and there's also less duels now, so there's even less front row forward options potentially. Yep. Um, maybe you just you live with that and you're still the top front row forward option potentially at the end of the year at 68 points a game. So I, I sort of left him in because of that thinking. That, But he's obviously got the upside where, yeah, he could go to 70s. And if he does, that's going to be immense value. And I also think that last year, a few people were thrown off him. But there is a couple of little caveats, Wilfred. I'll throw out three points. And this sort of goes to your talking on his injuries as well because, you know, we said last week in the podcast – with Supercoach, some of it is numbers, 
Um, but you always got to look at every part of the story. Numbers are part of the story. And then there's, you know, the eye test stuff and all the other factors that you've got to take into account and judge for yourself on how much they're actually going to affect the year coming up. Injuries you brought up, and I think it's a very fair point, though I will half counter that with saying over the last few years, it's been a bit of a worry for him because he's kind of gotten a little bit banged up for the last few years. Uh, And the other thing as well is there's always something with him. And whether it's like a little niggling injury or something else, it's an off-field thing. Uh, And even now at the moment, you know, like you'd never blame a son for what his wider family has done or anything. They're different people, right? Obviously his mum's in a lot of trouble and we're not going to go into that or talk about social issues and or anything like that. But his mum's in a lot of trouble. He took off time at training. Some people were worried he was going to miss the start of the season or not even come back. Or me and you both agreed that that was never going to happen because these sort of things can drag on. But with this dragging on all year, you know, does that affect him mentally? Does that mean that he does ask for a week or two off at some point? Does that mean that he's just not going to be all there for the year or his mind's not going to be focused? That's another thing on top of the injuries and, and everything else that comes up with him. The other thing is that the second guy that we're going to talk about is the emergence of Carrigan, who I thought was fantastic last year and I actually thought was more important than what Payne Haas was. And if that continues, what does that look like for Payne Haas when you look at these extracurricular factors outside the numbers? Extracurricular. That's a funny way of putting it. But no, look, I totally agree. They, the the off-field stuff just sits there, right? It just seems to the drama seems to follow him. Whether it's you know, like him being a young guy, he's going to jump on Instagram and share messages and stuff like that. And I'm just like, I'm not an Insta myself, but it, stuff gets sent to me. I'm just like, what are you doing, Pain? <laughs> I'm just like, you know, be a bit like be, be a bit more like Patty. Just stay off the socials and keep your head down and you know work hard, which is what Carrigan did. Like I've been pretty critical of him in the past when, you know, early on when he debuted, like, you know, you could tell he was promising, but then he became very one dimensional. And also like, I just felt he was given a lot more credit for doing stuff that, you know, it was, it was good in terms of the numbers, but as far as on-field impact and stuff like that, it was pretty minimal he proved me wrong so much when he came back from his injury and like full credit to him, like for, for doing that hard work is what he came back as, as a player. And then obviously then, you know, how he took that to a whole new level when he debuted in origin and just absolutely dominated that series off the bench. Mm. That was just incredible for me. So I have to say, yeah, look, Carrigan is really interesting because I still feel like it's almost like he's gone too far the other way, right? Sometimes his on-field play is not actually translating to super coach as well as his old style of play used to. And what I'm saying is like he used to take lots and lots of runs, make lots and lots of tackles, but his runs would just be like ineffective, slow. He'd walk a couple of meters, get himself over the eight meter mark to get an extra point for super coach. Uh, or he'd be like second or third man in for t- tackles. And, you know, they're not, they wouldn't be dominant tackles. They'd just be, you know, enough to be part of the tackle and get a point. Whereas I feel like last year, his runs had impact. He'd make, you know, big 12, 13, 40 meter runs, but then, you know, he wouldn't make a run for a while because obviously that's a lot of effort sometimes to to gear up for one of those big charges. And so for, for on-field, it's fantastic. For super coach, it's not as good because you'd rather two, you know, eight meter runs than one big 15 meter run, right? So mm. it's just little things like that where like you can tell like in the back end of the season, he'd have good games, but he'd score 40 or 50 whereas he'd have lesser impact games, but he'd still score 60 to 70 points because he was just more involved with like 
some of the lesser things. I don't know if I've maybe taken it a bit too far, but I feel like there's that little shadow hanging over like his stats, I guess you could say. And that's coming from me as obviously someone who watches him very closely as a Broncos fan. Yeah, sure. Well, look, to finish off on Haas and move on to Carrigan's numbers, I mean, for me, Payne Haas is a definite option that people should be considering. I think that he doesn't have much downside. So I think that that's the thing. If he was playing second row forward, I wouldn't look at him. But front row forward, I think everybody should consider having him to anchor their front row forward spots. Uh, but you can definitely go a different way. It isn't sort of two years ago where you had to start with Payne Haas. And I could see, him, you know, maybe he does do a, a low 60s again. Uh, and then you don't really miss out on much. He does have the upside, though, to go to 70 plus as an average. So that is there. And they do have a good early season draw. So if he's motivated and he gets stuck into his training and stuff and the other things don't affect him, then the first couple months, like we saw the first sort of five, six weeks last year, we could see a really good Payton Haas averaging in the 70s. So that's there. Uh, I think everyone should definitely consider it. But I'm going to give you a hot take here, everyone. Hot take, hot take. Patrick Carrigan has more upside than Payton Haas. So that's where I'm at at the moment. Uh, Wilfred, you've just spoken about it. But, you know, to me, when I'm looking at Carrigan, he did only average 62 in 2022, um, but he averaged 67 in 2020. So we got a little bit of a look at his upside. Um, A couple of things when I was looking through Carrigan's game. So he had two injury affected out of the 14. um, And obviously the 14s are concerned because the last three years he's got 14, 8, 19, game so he's had a few injuries but only you know two out of the 14 were very injury affected he didn't have a try in 2022 which I'm going to bank doesn't happen again so that's at least a couple of points a week on his average just there just by getting one try over the line um his base base attack of 60 is is very solid and I think the minutes are the key for him so certainly you know I'm, I'm going off a bit of a wide test here I thought that he really stepped up his game even if it didn't translate last year and we saw that as well with him getting named in the World Cup squad playing for Australia and I thought that it was probably one of the first few forwards picked in that Australian pack to go into to go to the World Cup and he earned that um, his minutes though when you look at his games for the Broncos last year when he was playing 64 plus minutes in 2022 he had a 74 average so that kind of gives you a glimpse. I don't love the Broncos bench. They're going to have a utility on there. They've got other guys at a low minute inexperienced, it looks like. So, you know, does he get a few more minutes? Because last year, his average minutes were game was 61. I think that he can definitely get sort of that 64 type of range. He played 68 in 2020, albeit a slightly different role. A few extra minutes from him might make all the difference, and that could be there. And I'll throw to you from our Payne Huss discussion, if Payne does miss any time, Carrigan's going to benefit from that as well with his minutes. So I I actually think that Carrigan's got a bit more upside at 654,000. He's actually slightly cheaper than Haas, but obviously we're talking second row now. So the 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 trade-off there is that you're comparing him to other second rowers, which are there's a gluttony of guns in that position. Uh I would if if Carrigan was front row forward, I would pick him over Payne Haas and I'd love to have him in my team. It's just that second row spanner for me. Yeah, look, I definitely agree with that last point. I think it's just, unfortunately, the the position Carrigan's in uh, means he's less super coach relevant just because he has has to compete with far more established second row guns. I see where you're coming from. Like, like, don't get me wrong. Like, his best scores for a super coach were back in 2020, right? And this is what I was saying before. He is far better in 2022 than he was previously, but he scored less for super coach, if you get what I'm saying. Like, like on the field, his you know, I would say is so much better in terms of his actual gameplay 
uh, compared to what he was doing in 2020. It's just because of the way the scoring works for Supercoach. Like I do feel that that helped the way he played in 2020, whereas now he's far better for the NRL and for the Broncos on the field that it's not actually translating as well for Supercoach. But look, I, I'd see what you mean. Like if he gets 65 minutes consistently, absolutely he could he could um, bump over 70. But I kind of feel like he's already – like he had such a good year and he was only slightly better than what Haas was when Haas has had his worst year ever, if you get what I'm saying. Like it's just different levels, I think, even taking out the front row forward versus second row forward argument. Like I feel – there's a chance that Carrigan still has a good year and Haas has a mediocre one and still outperforms in average-wise because Haas is just that good for Supercoach. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's an interesting yeah. one. Like, I wouldn't hate it if you want to take the punt on him at all, especially, as you said, great early draw for the Broncos. And I do feel, though, because both these guys are going to play Origin again, again, right? So, I think once that hits that Origin period, especially combined with the buyers for the Broncos afterwards, I kind of feel they need to leave your team and they may not be must-have trade back-ins afterwards. Yeah, it is a good way to get yourself, and especially if you're forward pack through the first half of the season, because yep. obviously, because when Origin comes, you just get rid of them. But at the moment, you've got teams having buys every week. So you avoid that the first 12 rounds with the Broncos before we hit up to Origin. And then obviously Origin starts and they start missing games and then they got buys afterwards. But... There's obviously, you know, 12 other teams that have had buys during that period that you don't have to worry about with these Brisbane Broncos forwards. The thing with Carrigan is that he's very consistently good, uh, but he doesn't have those high games. Obviously, he never scored a try last year, but his highest was 92 and his second highest was 82. So you you don't get those bigger games. Like You're not going to get an Angus Crichton game, a a Cam Murray game, uh, these guys, uh, but you are going to get maybe, you know, more consistent 66 to 78 type of scores than maybe an Angus Crichton type. So it also depends on what you want and how you sort of see things. Um, but he's a great anchor foundation piece. He's probably, I, I'm like Wilfred, like I wouldn't blame anyone for, if you want to go in a different direction, have an absolute pod. You know, if he scores a try in the first month and he also gets a try assist, which he's capable of, then, you know, all of a sudden you're, you're really up on the crowd because he's only going to be like maybe, you know, what, 2% owned or something. I don't think many are going to jump on him at all because of the competition at second row forward. So it's an interesting option. Uh, where I say I absolutely love him, though, is grab him in draft. I, yeah. I love him in draft. Like, you'll get him in those sort of mid-rounds and he will he will pay you all year in draft. Yep. I uh, totally agree with that. I actually grabbed him last year uh, in draft and uh, very much enjoyed having him in my team. Until obviously when he wasn't available for finals, but that's a different story. <laughs> well, Adam Reynolds is the other gun to talk about here. And we're not going to spend too much time on him. It's almost a respect thing. And also, so I give Wilfred enough Broncos ammunition to throw out there. So uh, <laughs> we have to put all, a lot of names on here. But this is also a podcast, everyone, where we talk about everybody. You know, we like to just talk everyone to give you all the info and all the options and not just touch on the popular picks. Adam Reynolds scored 60 points a game last year. Uh, that was his equal best with his 2020 season. His other years are all between 52 and 58. He's always been that 52 to 60 guy. He's never been a big gun, uh, but he did have some runs last year with the Broncos where people were actually buying him. Uh, he had sort of a solid start to the year where he went 32, 56, 68, 55, 56, and people went, well, 
He's been really consistent this last month after his first game of the season. And then he threw out 115, 53, 198. And he actually sucked some people in there where he um, basically averaged about 85 points over that month of football. Of course, any um, quintessential Adam Reynolds missed a couple of games. Wilford is going to argue with me about this. So I'm <laughs> going to get in first because it's my podcast. Okay. <laughs> Wilfred always, you know, takes a bit of a jab and says, you know, Reynolds isn't as injury prone as what you think, blah, blah, blah. He doesn't miss the games that you think. So he missed three games last year, which isn't much. And that's fine. But he's also got uh, a handful of other games, three other games where he didn't actually finish the game. So that's six games where he was actually injury, where he was injured. Um, and then on top of that, he ends up dragging his carcass around for another four or five games as well, where you know he's injured. And, you know, great toughness and everything and, you know, get through the game, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, uh, I'd argue that, you know, whilst he played 20 games, he's got like 25% of those where he was actually hurting anyway, legitimately hurt anyway, didn't finish three of them, and then at least another couple. So I think you're, you're injury affected for at least eight plus games. He's going to turn 33 years of age this year. Uh, I don't think that he was an option before anyway. You know, he fluctuates too much. He had a really good month of football. If you take that month out of the 20-game season, it's it's not a good not a good season for him. He's not a 60-plus um, average gun. Um, so I don't see him as an option at all, Wilfred. We do need to talk about him, though. I do think that he was good for the Broncos last year in real life at times. But I, I do think that he is actually, you know, carrying injuries a bit. And I do think that he's going to see that more in his 33rd year on this planet, as well as his 34th year, the following season in his final season of that Broncos deal. So look, I will, you know, qualify some of the injury talk because you're right. He didn't finish games, but he was, he, he failed at HIA. Like that happens to any player, you know, he that just, was only one though, right? That was only no, one. Two, 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 where he finished around 14 and around 24. Both those games ended because he was, uh, well, one, he was literally knocked out. The other one, he failed the HIA. So he wasn't able to return. There was one other game where he played 74 minutes because he went off and passed the HIA and came back. And the other one, I think 69 uh, minutes where he went off with a rib issue, but then he came back onto the field. So in terms of actual injuries that weren't head, uh, brain injuries, basically, there was only really one. And uh, the other game he missed was because of COVID. So look, I, I get it. There's certainly some injury concerns. I'm not suggest- suggesting he's not a kind of constant worry there but I feel it's I feel it's just gone too far the needle swung too far the other way it's just overblown uh, from my perspective he's constantly played 20 games or more and yep some of them he probably didn't finish them or he's left the field for a bit of it but like in terms of availability he's been more available than someone like a Nathan Cleary over the past five years like I said he's played more games than Cleary has over that five-year period so, yeah, it is true. And I do know where you're coming from. I mean, as a super coach option, though, you're obviously not going to go anywhere near him or recommend him. I, I, I wouldn't even get him in draft because he'll go too early in draft as well. Yeah, look, I think there is a world where you could roll the dice on the Broncos having that great stretch at Suncorp and maybe he comes out like, you know, you talked about that little stretch of games. He averaged mm. 91 for four games, right? If he does that for five games, you know, you're off to an absolute flyer and no one will have him aside from you know, Broncos fans who probably don't know how to play Supercoach, <laughs> the casuals. <laughs> uh, but hey, you know, like don't the rest of the people. Teams. Yeah, exactly. So like I said, it's it's certainly, I, I would also put him, I would almost put him in the big balls pod category, basic, 
based on that early draw. For the Look, you can always grab guys for runs, so I think that's a really fair take on it. Um, I think probably the other problem with him even getting him for a run is nobody will own him, but he's going to be 636,000 in a really valuable halfback spot where there's it's just become so many options at halfback now. Uh, and there's going to be a cheapie there too, more than likely. So it's just, it's just a spot that's going to be hard to take that up. Um, and you're also going to, oh, I guess, I don't know, you're going to leave out somebody, at least a couple of players that will score better over that period, I think, because there's just too many options. So you can like dodge maybe some of the popular ones, but I don't think you're going to be able to dodge all of them to be able to get the value out of it. Uh, Reese Walsh, fallen gun. Let's talk about our fallen gun category. Reese Walsh averaged 64 points a game in 2021. Uh, back down to earth, 53 points in 2022. It was 11 point drop. So that normally suggests that there's going to be some value. He's obviously going to a new team as well. You could argue that the Broncos are going to be better than the Warriors for him, that he's going to want to perform in his new contract, his new team and everything else. But other little thing there in the background for Walsh, you know, I think a lot of people are looking at him because he's 554,800. So yeah, that's reasonably cheap. It's going to be sub 500 under the old pricing. So for somebody who could be a 64 plus type of guy, you go, well, you know what? There's a bit of value there. I should probably consider him as a, a backup fullback option. One of the little secrets here, Wilfred, and why you got to look at the numbers and things and really tear them apart is that his average last year of 53, including his goal kicking, because he's a goal kicker at the Warriors. That goal kicking is gone at the Broncos. Adam Reynolds will goal kick. So if you take that out from his goal kicking last year, if he didn't goal kick, he's more like a mid-40s average. It's like a 45. And he's got a base of 19 last year, which is really poor um, for a fullback. And base attack even at 14, which you kind of expect more from your fullback. You expect more tackle breaks and offloads and stuff, let alone the scoring. So he just, he didn't really pass the test last year. You could argue it's the Warriors and stuff, and he's going to get an uptick at the Broncos. I'd actually go with that narrative, except the amount that he goes up is probably going to be negated by the fact that he's going to lose nine odd points off his goal kicking points as well each week. So, you know, I, I don't see him as the great super coach option that maybe some coaches are. Uh, I think there's more chance that you're going to not be happy with that than actually be happy with it, especially when you compare some of the other options. There's at least half a dozen other ones that I'd be going for instead, even though you've got to pay a fair bit more money for some of them. Yeah, look, I think that's a pretty good summary overall. I mean, looking at it, his his average from goal kicking was about 7.5 points per game. So you're right, that 53-odd drops down to about 45, 46. So, you know, the, the narrative you run with the, him being in a better team, he's going to be a bit more settled because obviously he's back, you know, where he was home in terms of where he lived. Uh, I guess the only other thing comes that, that you might want to mention is, you know, the attacking stats really dried up for him uh, last year compared to in 2021, right? So in 2021, he scored so many tries comparatively. Uh, he only scored two tries last year, if I'm not mistaken where I think you'd be pretty safe to say he's going to score more than two for the Broncos. Uh, whereas, I mean, even for the Warriors, and some of these were coming off the bench, he still scored, I think, nine tries, and that's from less games than what he did in 2022. So, look, there's there's room for improvement there. In terms of try assists, I think he was around about 11 try assists in 2021, and I think even for 2022, he was sitting just about, and this is obviously in more games, but I only think he had 13. So on a games per 
on a, on a, on a per game basis, he definitely saw a sharp drop as well. So I guess it comes back to, you know, do you think he does have that extra, uh, you know, injection of attacking stats between tries and tries assists? I think there's a, there's a world where you could watch for a couple of rounds and then possibly downgrade if you've taken a punt on a, on another fullback that's not performing. Uh, I think that could be a viable strategy. And it's again, trying to cash in mm. on that early draw for the Broncos where they just, you know, they're not leaving Queen, uh, Brisbane or, or, you know, greater Brisbane area very much. Yeah. it's And it's one of those things as well where like you, you want to take advantage of that draw, right? But just, it seems with every one of these players, there's something that just stops you being able to go there and just enjoy the ride. And one of them with Walsh is, you know, if he was goal kicking for this Brisbane draw, absolutely comes into consideration all of a sudden. But that that loss of goal kicking really kills him for me. Like when you compare him with other fullback options, you've obviously got the premiums that, that look really good, like the Latrells and the Tedesco's that are much more expensive. Uh, Pappenhausen, if he's healthy, but we don't know about that yet. But even then, you've got the guys that are you know a hundred to hundred fifty cheaper than that at Scott Drinkwater, um, Clint Gutherson. I don't think he's going to outscore those guys either. And then when you go, well, you know what? I need someone at sort of that five hundred to six hundred range. Normally, in other years, you'd go, well, Walsh is the best one. There isn't many fullbacks that you get in that range with that sort of 65-plus type of upside. But all of a sudden this year, we end up with uh, Tommy Turbo and, and Caitlin Ponga in the 500 to 600K category on pricing to start the year. So he can't even get a look in there for me. So I just think that, um, unfortunately, you got a good draw there. He might go well for a game here and there, or he might even go on a run, but it's just not going to be better than the other options. So... I think we need to move on to the Big Balls pod here. Uh, Big Balls pod, and it is a huge pod. And I'm going to bring it up because people might not know this, but if you wanted to become a member of the Ezra Mam fan club, uh, Wilfred Z is the president. You can send him an email and you know he will let you into that club because it's a pretty exclusive one. There's only a few people in it. But Ezra Mam looked quite good last year, in all fairness, and to be serious. I like the look of him. I liked him before he debuted. Uh, and he came on in a blaze of glory. His first two games, average, he got 89, 81, and 79 points with a three-round average of 84 or something. And he was on fire his first three 80-minute games of football debuting in the NRL. It was crazy how good he was. Um, his base was really nice. His first two two games, his base was 31 and 32 raw base. And then when you put in the fact that he can you know tackle break a bit and offload, he had a really good super coach-friendly game. Now, obviously... That dropped off as the season went on, and he ended up averaging 55 points a game, playing 80-minute games for 13 games of last season. Uh, I'm going to do something that some Broncos fans will really not like because a lot of Broncos fans, you know, support the Queensland Maroons in uh, the state of origin. They'll hate this. It actually reminds me a little bit for Supercoach like Mitchell Pearce uh, because <laughs> he's got that... He's got that type of game where he's like a bit of a runner. He tackles a lot. You know, he's he's sort of he's one of those guys where he's base and, and and stuff. He's very active and he's really good. And he's one of those halfbacks that does that stuff really well. And he can run well and offload a bit. But he doesn't necessarily have a great kicking game. He doesn't get a huge amount of try assists. He doesn't have that in him. It's very similar to how Mitchell Pierce had a, a pretty nice floor, but he didn't really have those you know massive games or the upside to have a big average because of his lack of attack and stuff. Um, Bit of a try score at times. Esperman, I, I think, is a little bit like that. But I guess when you're looking at it, only four of his games are actually sub-50 out of his 13. And you can see that there. But he's only a young man, Wilfred. They do have a good starting draw. And he is someone at 583,000 that isn't in the halfback position. He's in a lot more hotly contested 5'8 um, position 
where there probably isn't as many options as, you know, when we're talking halfback, when we're talking fullback and stuff. So maybe you can make a case as a massive pod for the run. I think he's too overpriced for that. But he is someone who I'm really interested to see this year because at his young age, we're looking at the second year of his first grade career, he could take a bit of a leap. Look, honestly, I'm surprised by how positively you spoke of him just then. Uh, Like I said, I'm definitely uh, number one uh, member of the Ezra Man fan club and founder, as you say. But like for Supercoach, I think you just can't go there just because of his price tag, right? He did too well in his debut season. Not when, as you say, he's about 583, 600, uh, priced at a 55.5 average when you got Matty Burton just, you know, 11 grand more. Uh, My boy. <laughs> so, look, even even though I'm not like a massive, massive Burton truther, like for Supercoach, you can't go ma'am who doesn't goal kick and probably is the third point of attack now in the in the Broncos team with Reynolds and Walsh. Uh, over like a, a goal-kicking Matt Burton who's got some pretty nice upgrades around him in terms of weapons to use. So, look, I, I think I might find Mam in one of my draft teams on two, but I can't see him in my, any of my classic teams, unfortunately. Mam will be massive value in draft early on, and I think that you uh, you trade the shit out of him, send offers to everybody in your league three times <laughs> after the first two months of the season, <laughs> um, and that's going to work out really well for you. But Wilford's right, 583K. I don't even think that you can consider him. He's a big boss pod for a reason, though. Like, if you really weren't spending at 5.8 and you wanted Matt Burton as your number one 5.8 and someone in a similar price bracket or cheaper, look, you could make an argument and have a crack. <laughs> I, I could actually see him. Like, I, I don't think there's no way that I could do it and there's no way I could recommend anyone do it. But I can see a realm of possibility where he comes out and averages like 65 plus um, in that first eight weeks and he's electric and has three games in a row, sort of 80 plus or something like that. Like that can happen for him for sure. Um, so I'm interested in seeing from a real life perspective and a super coach perspective, how his first full season in first grade unfolds. The other big balls pod though, I'm much more interested in, and I will say there's very few Broncos that I'm considering this guy. I'm actually considering, but there's a lot of unknowns, unfortunately, big Flegler. So Flegler's coming in at 479300 as a front rower. That is reasonably cheap. Um, he's got a really consistent PPM, which I like. He's always been between 1.01 and 1.03. You know you're going to get a point a minute with him. Average 46 points a game last year out of 44 minutes. Uh, his minutes the last three years have been 44, 42, and 44. That's what it's been. At the moment, he's rumoured to be a starting front rower. Um, guys like Tapao are going to scare people off, but to me, if he's used properly and Kevy is a half-decent coach, he's going to put Tapao on for 20 minutes, um, maybe in the first half and 15 in the second half or something like that. You know, he's not going to be you know, bulk minutes. But if Flegler can get his extra six, seven minutes, and because he's only averaged 44, like we're only talking, you know, get 52 minutes a game, eight minutes, get 52 minutes a game, that all of a sudden brings you up to that 60-point category for a front row forward that's only going to cost you a budget 479000 and he's priced on an average of 46. You can definitely get even maybe even a 15-plus point upswing on his price point to start round one. So when we're talking about those secondary front row forward options, uh, you know, I was big on Luke Thompson last week because of his upside, very similar to what Flegler is and similar type of pricing. There's a few other ones that we'll be talking about throughout the podcast. Matt Lodge comes to mind if he was actually starting. Uh, there's other guys sort of around that where you go, I, I don't want to spend on front row forward. I need a second one to start. 
if Legler's starting Wilfred, uh, he looks very interesting. I guess the only thing is he did start eight matches last year and it wasn't phenomenal and his minutes were a bit up and down. As a Broncos fan, I'm really interested to hear your opinion because I liked him when he came onto the scene. I sort of thought he fell off a bit. He's signed to go elsewhere potentially next year. Uh, you know, Do we see him starting? Do we see him getting more minutes? Do we see him motivated? So just to be really clear, I actually quite like Flegler as a player and a bit of a tangent. Um, at one of the Broncos fan days, I actually took my kids along with me and uh, Tom was really, really good with my kids. He played with them. He interacted with them and they loved him. So I uh, actually got a soft spot in my heart for Flegler, but for super coach, it's all business. I can't go near him. I just don't think he's got that consistency. He's got a little bit of the um, Jack Hetherington's about him. Like he's, judiciary record precedes him. And I think it's in, in a way it's unfair. Like I feel he gets targeted for stuff that he shouldn't. And maybe, you know, it's a little bit like Warrior uh, Hargraves for you, right? As a Roosters fan, you know, he he does the same thing that another forward does, but he looks at one to three weeks on the side or, or gets charged, sent to the judiciary to deal with it. Like unfortunately, Flegler's that guy for the Broncos. And sometimes it's warranted, but a lot of times it's not. And for that reason, I think there's a, there's inherent risk there. And just he's he's got so much potential, right? Because he can do it all. Like he's got great footwork when he wants to. His leg drive is absolutely awesome when he gets going. He does have an offload there. He does have the ability to do it. But then every now and then he just pushes it too hard, does one or two dumb things, and then you just see him shrink and, and withdraw, and then he just disappears and his game's off for the rest of the game. And yeah, it's just as a Broncos fan, you know, I love when he's on 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 song, but just when he gets a little bit off, it's just, yeah, I think it's too risky if you're going to start him every week. And, like, he's ultimately still the third forward in that pack, right? And you talked about other options. Look, no, I'm going to no, – no surprise, I've talked up Christian Walsh already, but he is my uh, second front row forward and he's cheaper than Flegler and he's the number one prop for the Storm. So mm. it's no contest there for me. I'm not a sold on Welsh, but I'll get to that in the Storm podcast. I mean, yeah. Flegler's, <laughs> only, cool. Flegler's only 23 as well. So he's – going to be going to a period where he should be hitting his prime and he's had four years of first grade now. Um, so it's, I, I will be very disappointed if, you know, we go into round one and all of a sudden he punches out 58 minutes or 55 minutes. <laughs> and that's, that's really going to annoy me because he will score, you know, he will score, score 60 odd points and that's going to be really valuable. The problem is that you really got to guess on Kevin Walters' rotation, and it's a bit of a big balls pot in that you are spending a bit of money there. Um, but because it's so sparse, you've got to look at guys like Flegler. I, I can see Flegler coming out as a really good pot if he plays with potential and Kevin Walters goes, you know what, he needs to play 55 minutes a game because of our pack. Um, if Payne Haas ends up missing all of a sudden, I said Carrigan will benefit, Flegler will benefit immensely, I think. Uh, but these are all what ifs, maybes. Uh, and unfortunately, in Supercoach, that can be risky. I don't think the reward's big enough compared to the risk with him. Uh, but I can see it working out. So I wanted to highlight his role might actually change a little bit, and I'm interested to see. Controversial chat here. Mistakes. Hang on. I, yeah. I want to I change and, and mixing up a little. I want to throw Corey Oates in as a big balls pod. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm no, I knew you do this. Like, gotta I do looked it. at it where there's no way I'm going to talk about Corey Oates' podcast. <laughs> You've done I it. I had to do it. What? I had to do it. Come on. Uh, he, it's a good draw, he a, but he's only got one ton last year. It's 57 a, a game. Good season. good season last year. Look, he actually looks even fitter this year 
than he did last year. That's all I'm going to say. So I expect him to continue on and do better than what he did last year. And again, you know, with Walsh there, uh, potential to throw more cutouts at the back, like Tessie knew was taking it himself. Uh, Tamara Martin wasn't always the ball player. I, I do think someone like a Walsh could, you know, he's not quite Kalen Ponga loving the, the cutout to the left winger, but he's, he's a level above what the Broncos had previously. So I would not be surprised if we get a little bit more, you know, Darius Boyd to Corey Oates type action back, back when I won super coach. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think Boyd was in the league back then. Um, Corey Oates. <laughs> All right. Well, it's just under 57 a game. What I will say with Wilfred is uh, I would not want to start many, if any, you have to be a very special settlement for me to start you at almost 600,000 for round one. And he is yep. just not that special. Like that, that price point just kills him. I have been known Wilfred to jump on the Corey Oates bandwagon almost every season when he cheapens out and he always gets to that sort of <laughs> 350 price tag or whatever, especially when he was dual, you know, you just go, oh, I'll just, I'll have some oats with my, with my cereal this week and we'll go for some tries <laughs> and maybe you'll get a good few weeks and it's cheap. So it doesn't really hurt you. 600 K round one, it's, it's going to hurt you. It's yeah. I I think that's why, but, in saying that, you know, he's the type of guy that could rattle off a few good scores and a good draw. So you could go with the former champ on that one if you do want to spend on one center wing option. Um, Broncos do have one of the better draws to start with. But the controversy is Wilfred. Yep. It's going to be a couple. Brisbane fans are going to hate me. They're going to stop listening. Stags, I hated last preseason as an option. Everyone wanted him because he was cheap. A lot jumped on. And I got the jitters after I got an injury in round one and went, you know what? Everyone's jumping on him. He does have a good draw. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to go against all of my gut and everything, and I'm just going to jump on him. I'll trade him in because I need him. I need something because I've got an injury and stuff. And he just proceeded just to kill me. His first four games of the year, he scored 30s. Um, he only saw scored 60-plus last year, 26% of the time. His base base attack actually isn't that bad at 41, but he looks like he just doesn't do anything. Has these games where he doesn't go in and he take take any runs. The ball doesn't go to him, so he just sits out there and does nothing. His his tries have actually halved the last two years compared to the two years prior, more than halved. So people might look at that as a glass half full and go, well, he's got a lot more tries in him. I would argue that the fact that he doesn't go and get involved or look for the ball or anything means that he doesn't because it's partially his own fault in a way, partially also Kevin Walters' fault. Kevin Walters is still the coach. And I actually thought Farnworth came into his own last year and was a lot better. So there's that too. But the fact that he started last year with four weeks of 30s and 15 of his 23 games last year were sub 40 points. Like most of the time, almost 70% of the time, you're getting under 40 points from him. Like I, I can't even speak. It was so awful. 511,900 for this centre wing. And all of a sudden the Stags narrative has picked up again and people want to jump on. Look, I'm just going to say no, no, no. He had a, he had a few really big scores, um, but when he didn't have those big scores, he was absolute mud. And I just, I don't think that you want that. I think you can get that from cheapies, basically, where you know you could get a cheapie winger that goes over for a hat trick once and gets a hundred points, and another week gets eighty, and then they give you mud. You may as well spend three hundred k less and do that. Like I'm just so down on 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 stags as I was last year. But the last thing, Wilfred, is it's come out. I got a lot of dislikes on this comment because it came out that he was, uh, you know, injured last year. He said, oh, my shoulders were hurt. You know, 
I played through it and all this stuff. Blah, blah, blah. Look, I don't care. He was healthy enough to play and your shoulders don't stop you going over and looking for the ball or taking a hit up or sitting over there and doing your shoelaces up while football games happening. Like he was still doing that. And funnily enough, his shoulders were hurt last year, but the things that were wrong with how he played last year were the things that have been wrong with him his whole career. And I'm not saying Corey Oates, uh, I'm not saying, I keep saying Corey Oates because you put that in my head. I'm not saying <laughs> Katoni Staggs is terrible, okay? It's all relative. You know, he, people rate him as the best centre in the game and stuff. It's relative to that. You know, he's not that yet. He's so, shown too much inconsistency. And for super coach, he's just not the strike weapon that people think that he is. So even with the draw, I just could not go anywhere near Katoni Staggs. He's got a great highlight reel, doesn't he? Like he, oh, he does. When, he's, he's got a much better does, highlight uh, reel than what we do. Yeah, when he, when he does, um, when he what what happens is when he does make a splash, like you see it, and they they love showing those tries, and you see the replays of the highlights. It's it's very flashy, but you're right. It's just he's not quite there. And and after say like Herbie was the better center for the Broncos all season last year, significantly outperformed him uh, in all aspects. And the only reason we don't talk about him is because his name's not Katoni Staggs, and you know he still gets all the focus. Uh, Look, I, I'm not going to start with him either. I was, you know, I, I think for me last year, starting with him, it was just an ownership type situation. It was really like, you know, as Charlie stands from the year before, right? The upside is there. The ownership is ridiculously high. So you just don't want to be, you know, not on the boat if he does go off like the expectations were. So uh, I think, you know, keep him kind of as a left left field kind of pod option, keep a close eye on him. If he does look 100% healthy, one thing I do suspect is if he is able to, uh, because it was his left shoulder, I believe, that he wasn't able to, uh, you know, that was apparently the torn labrum that he had quite early on from origin onwards, basically. Hard to get the leaves going when you've got a hurt shoulder. No, no, I'm saying like (laughs) part of his his game was actually he he loves to tackle bus because he's got a pretty good Yeah, I know, I know. So when you've got a torn shoulder, it makes it hard. You know, you've got to trust your weaker arm to carry the ball and use the other arm or whatever. It just does does cap you upside there, and that's obviously one of the. You know, he's not he's not involved as much, but normally he would turn one, you know, eight meter run into six to eight points because he'd bust one or two tackles and maybe throw an offload at the end. So, you know, when he's not doing that either, his runs just not effective. Doesn't get very far, and his work rate's down anyway. So, yeah, that's probably one of the downsides. But if he looks healthy. And he's busting tackles and whatever at the price tag, you know, I don't hate it. And with the Broncos draw, he might be someone that I might bring into my team in round two or three if he's got a low break even. I understand. I understand people doing that, um, but I don't understand people doing it um, (laughs) round one. Um, I think think that's way too much. And it's a center wing as well. That's the other thing to consider. Uh, so look, I'm just, I'm well off stags for round one. If you couldn't tell everybody. And to be honest, like it, it's kind of annoys me and it's not stags fault. Like, I don't want to sound like I hate him. It's not, it's not his fault at all, but people have put him up here. It, it amazes me that some players get critiqued so differently than others like stags. And the next guy we're going to talk about is Cobo. These guys get put up there. Like they're, they're these attacking weapons that are just absolute guns when really like Wilfred said, got great highlight reels, but they don't put it all together. Like, and you have someone like Talakai, like Talakai doesn't get mentioned last year as the best center in the game. And Stags does. Talakai's three best games. You could argue as good as Stags as best three games highlights. You know, it's the same type of thing, you know, <laughs> but, but well, Talakai just, but, but Talakai obviously wasn't consistent. His other games just weren't up there and they weren't up to scratch. It's the same as Stags, but you get people 
look at it di- completely different ways, you know, and you're right with Farnworth too, you know, Farnworth, Herbie wasn't going to give you a 15 out of 23 game sub 40. Let's just leave it at that for Supercoach. For Cobbo, <laughs> I kind of see it the same, although Cobbo scares me a little bit more because Cobbo is a young fella and he averaged 56 a game in his first full season. Um, he had those bigger games in him. He scored 131 points against the Knights in round 11. And he also has other games with multiple tries. He scored three tries in round 22 versus Knights. Loves playing Newcastle, 119 points. Uh, but he does need those tries. He's kind of a bit like Mike Acebo, except worse. Like he needs those tries to score well. Um, his other 80-point games pluses were both where he got doubles as well. Obviously, a lot of mud games where he's got 20, 22 points, 22 points. You're going down there, seeing all these 20 sprinkled in everywhere. And that's my problem with him. And that's why he's never going to be a great super coach option to start round one. When again, you're talking at that 500 to 600K price range for a center wing. So I think a lot of the things that we said about Stags translate straight to Cobbo and why it's a mistake to start with him. But I will say that the difference with Cobbo is I'm much more scared of him hurting me with that draw. Being a winger, if the Broncos really turn it on and Cobbo is mentally there and he wants to prove his doubt is wrong. And the fact that he is so young and coming into his second full season, he does have a lot of talent. So that does scare me that he could rattle off three games in a row, scoring two or three tries with that early draw. So, you know, I will give him that credit there for the start. Look, I think physically we can see the potential, right? Because he doesn't get all the comparisons to your Latrells and all that type of stuff without that kind of physical resemblance in terms of his body type and what he can do. I think the biggest knock on Cobo is just because he's so young and you mentioned professionalism, like I think coupled with his comments on the podcast lately or back in October, I think we can tell that he's still a bit, you know, has a, has a ways to go on that one. I um, would want to see how he starts basically before I'd even think about him for super coach, let alone, you know, actually putting him in my team. I just think there's there's a few things he needs to sort out off the field and also between the years uh, before he's going to be really someone that you can actually rely upon week in, week out. And, uh, you know, maybe it's just to give him a year or two and he'll mature naturally. But I do have some concerns whether or not he's got the right mindset for a, an actual professional athlete, uh, you know, in spite, of the, in spite of the physical gifts that he obviously does have. So I'm hoping he gets it all together. but. It's not the best start for him there as much as he's obviously, you know, he shows he can play well enough to mix it with the big boys, but yeah, hopefully he gets it sorted. Massive concerns, massive question marks, massively scared for the 1% of people that owed him for some of those matchups like the Dolphins and stuff early on too, though. <laughs> I, uh, I think that he can actually throw up 100 in one of those games. So um, he deserves a bit of credit, but yeah, again, one of those guys that I think will be a mistake to start with in round one. Mids and cheapies, let's really quickly finish up on the Broncos. Uh, Pacura, uh, am I pronouncing that right? You you correct me here. I think it's Piacura, but honestly, I don't Piacura, really yeah. know. I thought that was it. But uh, look, he's the only one that's really going to be there at just over 200K for the Broncos. We don't have much on him. He hasn't played very many first-grade games at all, but he's rumoured to have been really good at training. He's only got his two first-grade games. Look... Pekiro might be one of those guys where you need to consider him as one of the mids and cheapies just purely because he's in that 200 to 250K price range as a back rower. Um, And the rumours are that he has looked really good at training and stuff. Have you got any insight into any of that? He's a really good player. I really am excited to see how he develops. 
he's got one of those uh, kind of unique skill sets. He's quite good at ball playing and, you know, as a edge back role, like I definitely see him with the potential to score quite well for super coach. Uh, he's yeah, he, he can, he's not like physically dominant, like a David feeder type coming through juniors, but he's got a lot of skill and speed and he can, you know, run good lines as well as pop passes off and stuff like that. So I definitely think if he gets nails down a spot, it'll be hard not to, you know, put him in the team. There's a chance he might be on the bench round one, uh, but I, I'm a little bit concerned because Kobe Hetherington's obviously going to miss the early rounds because of injury. Yep. Now with Marty Tapal, I was really hoping to see Xavier Willison, uh, who's another up-and-coming uh, prop, but I think the Tapal signing kind of puts him on the back burner, which might not be too bad for him because he's quite young and he's coming off an ACL and he's e- easing his way back. Uh, I think it, he's getting to the 18 to 24 month mark. So we might see him, you know, really do well in reserve grade and he might find himself as a mid-season GP. But yeah, like I think it, there's not going to be too many cheapies available from the Broncos barring injuries, basically. Mm, a bit unfortunate because I, I, I think that he's got a bit of talent too. I'd like to see a bit more of him. I just uh, wanted to play instead of Ricky, honestly. Well, that was the other thing I was going to bring up. I mean, I don't think Ricky has really cemented himself like other people think that he has, especially defensively sometimes and, yeah, I, I don't think that, that that back row is that cemented, um, those edge back row spots. So, yeah, we, we'll wait and see. We do need to move on to the Titans, so we uh, keep this nice and timely for everyone to listen to. But the Gold Coast Titans, I will say up front, they don't have as many super coach options as a lot of the other teams, so it is going to be a bit shorter. But when we're looking at their gains and losses, the big game for them is Kieran Foran. That's not going to do much for super coach, but it is in real life probably, or hopefully if you're a Titans fan. Randall from the Knights comes over to give some much-needed hooker cover. Uh, Aaron Shook comes over from the Bulldogs, which I think is a really good signing, and he also comes over with Joe Stimson. Sam Verrills, I, I love Sam Verrills as a Roosters fan. He's never really reached his potential. Part of that's just because of injuries and stuff. Uh, I'd like to see him reach his potential at the Titans. I think it was a really good signing for them. SASA has gone to the Dolphins to headline their losses. Um, guys like... Some of these other guys, you know, it's not a real loss. None of them are really playing that much. Um, Realistically, you know, I guess Jared Wallace and Corey Thompson were probably playing the most, Greg Marsu. But overall, Wilfred, probably about the same, maybe a little bit better for the Titans. But I am looking at it just going, considering the other teams and what they've done, um, the Titans are looking like a bottom four contenders to me. I think for me, I actually quite like the foreign and Verrill signings. I feel like that strengthens two areas that they struggled in most. One was obviously having experience had to steer the team around. Like, you know, they were running with Toby Sexton and and uh, I think later on they tried with um, Tanner Boyd and just it's not the same, right? When you've got someone like Foran who's done it all in the game, basically, like it's just a massive upgrade. And I feel like, I mean... Aaron Clark and Sam McIntyre were playing hooker. They the really needed a hooker. Yeah, 100% so agree there. I feel like Verrills is a massive, massive upgrade. And, you know, someone can even pass the ball in front of the halves for starters. Like, <laughs> I feel like I've got that same, same gripe with the Broncos there. But, uh, like, honestly, I, I, I see those two as key upgrades. And they too, they can both stay healthy, which that's obviously been a bit of a question mark for both of those players in the past. I can see that actually in itself gives them a bit of a boost. But then I kind of remember Justin Holbrook's their coach and then I kind of put him back in the bottom. <laughs> yeah, and look, that's the thing. Like those two guys staying healthy and Holbrook um, makes me just 
still say stay pretty down on the Gold Coast Titans. But look, when the, we're looking at the draw, it's a real mixed bag because they do have a buy in round five, so it's pretty early. So if you do start with any of these guys, you're going to be sitting them after a month of footy. Um, but the games, you know, the first two are great. Uh, both of them are away, but they're you know against you know easier sides in the Tigers and the Dragons. But then they go to uh, the Storm and the Cowboys the next two. So that month before they have a buy is a bit rough. It's a bit 50-50, I guess. But when you go after the buy, they have the Dragons, the Broncos, the Dolphins, the Seagulls, the Eels, the Knights, the Bulldogs, and then the buy and the big buy round. So after that round five buy, it actually opens up fairly nicely. It's a decent draw. Uh, and you like that a lot more. It's it's a bit of a mixed bag, Wilfred. I am expecting them to not have a good year. Um, the draws, yeah, I don't even know how to see it, to be honest. There were some Titans that I was thinking about starting with. Round five kind of put me off it a little bit with that buy. But then, you know, they play the Dragons twice in the first five games. Um, they also have the Tigers in there, which will be improved, but still be susceptible. It's a bit of a mixed bag for me. How did you end up seeing it when you looked at the draw? Yeah, I think you've given a pretty good summary. I, I do think, you know, we've talked about that there's not that many super coach relevant options and I kind of feel like the ones who are relevant probably don't care about the draw as much, honestly. So in a sense, I'm I'm okay to, you know, if you want to start with that Titan, then I don't I wouldn't let the draw put me off them necessarily. One thing I do want to note is that they I think they're the team that finishes their buys the first of all the teams in the NRL. Very good point. Yep. Very I think if you want to look at some late season options, like jumping on someone from round uh, round 17 onwards, basically. No, sorry. Yeah, round 17 onwards, yep. you'll be clear run to the end of the season. So that's the only thing I'd throw in there. But yeah, <sighs> otherwise, it's not the best draw, but there, there are, I think there's enough good games in there that you could definitely, you know, make some money from a cheapie or take advantage of an easy run. If there's a good option you want to risk. <laughs> Well, for feeder, normally is a good option. So let's talk about him. He's the first gun on the list, $689,800. I guess when you look at his numbers, Wilfred, the big question is, you know, Dave for feeder, was 2021 his coming out party or just an absolute outlier year? Because we know that it was an outlier year. A lot a lot of attacking players had an outlier year. He averaged, He scored 85 points a game in 2021. 2022, it was 66 points a game. And that 66 was pretty close to his 64 in 2020. So all of a sudden, you know, we kind of thought that he was going to be this beast and he sort of came out and was a beast in 2021, but then he reverted back to what he was doing before. And you kind of have to ask the question, I guess, is he really the guy that we thought he could become? Or is he just going to be this guy who, you know, is a, is a good gun, but not that big strike weapon that we saw as much? Uh, obviously, some of that's going to come down to how the Titans play. They weren't giving you ball, so the usage was down. Um, so that explains a lot of the numbers. Um, but yeah, seven tries in 2022, 17 in 2021. His raw base was 36 versus 38 the year before, so his work rate was down a little bit. But you just you know that that's happened because he's not getting ball. You know, to me, if he went looking for it a bit more, it would help. So that's part of the story. If Holbrook was a better coach, it would help. If those things happen, he's still not going to get to that 85 points per game in 2021. But I always pegged him as a guy that should be in the 70s, you know, and you might look at it and go, well, he averaged 66 a game in 2022. Yeah, but 
72 points is a big difference for a guy you can set and forget. And as a guy that does have that ton upside, you know, and even when you do look at 2022, round five and six against Para and Manly, 107, 120 points. You know, that gave us a glimpse of what he could do. But then for the first four rounds, he, you know, barely got over the 60-point mark as well. Uh, had other games where he scored 42 points in 80 minutes. Uh, and you just go, well, even with the extra minutes, it's not going to really matter for him. Bit of an enigma at this point, Wilfred. Um, I wanted to start him for this year. And I looked at the draw and went, oh, well, the first two weeks are great. Then I was put off. And then I looked past the buy in round five and went, wow, it's pretty good after that. I really don't know what to make of it. I'm going to say that I think that he could get towards 70 plus, uh, but it wouldn't surprise me if Holbrook doesn't use him enough and Fafita's a bit lazy and decides to sign elsewhere. And then all of a sudden, we might be looking at a 64 point per game guy that you've got to spend close to 700K to start with in round one. I'm really torn. It's a really tough one, isn't it? Uh, one thing I will note that 42 and 80 minutes, he was playing center. It was that, oh, that, I forgot that was about the, the Holbrook center games, right? Yeah, that's right. We saw, we saw Talakai have a good game and he said, I can do that with David Peter, right? <laughs> <laughs> Tried oh, everything else. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, for me, I, th- I see him as a, you know, somewhere around the 73 to 75 mark if he gets to play, you know, 65 plus minutes on an edge, hopefully 80. Uh, I think he is good enough that he should be scoring. Like some some back rollers aren't going to score more than a couple of tries a year, but I feel like Fafita should be consistently hitting eight to 12 per year, just in normal usage, not not even including, you know, the crazy 2021 season where I think, you know, that's just an outlier altogether that whole season. Uh, whereas, you know, Fafita is just so freakish. Like when he gets the ball, like he can just do stuff that, no other player can do in the NRL as an edge back row. He's so fast and strong and powerful and athletic, but he's just constantly getting the ball in bad areas. He's getting it when he's flat footed. And, you know, that's, that's the coaching aspect, right? He's, they're not designing plays for him. They're not setting him up to succeed. Basically there's a lot of where, where they just throw to him and say, Hey, do some, do something for feeder or they just use him as a decoy and, you know, go out the back all dummy to him and, and try going themselves. Uh, Jaden Campbell, AJ Brimson, especially love to do those things. The decoy uh, stuff's a killer. Like it just, but I'm going to say too, a third of his game, six out of eighteen, he didn't he didn't get an eighty minute role. So I think that that presents the value of that seventy three plus upside because he didn't get that, and it's also contract year for him. Yep. So I I'm going to start with him. I feel like sixty six is kind of his floor. Like I can't see him going much lower than that. Just it may not happen every week because obviously for him to go larger, he does usually require uh, at least one try, if not more. But again, a try for him is not too hard a lot of the time. It's just crazy how many, you know, 40-point plays he just pulls out of nowhere because mm-hmm. he finally gets the ball and has half a chance and he makes something happen with it. I, You know, we talk about the Tanner Boyd narrative, so obviously he's rumoured to be the halfback and playing on the right edge next to Fafita. They go way back. They played high school footy together and, and you know, came up through the junior rep sides and stuff together as well. But I think it's just safe to say, like, Fafita didn't have to do anything special back then. He was just freakishly talented and physically gifted far more than anyone else around him. So he just run over people. So I don't know how much of that was a connection to Boyd, but... I kind of feel, you know, they're good mates still. And I think that probably will, he'll be a happier person playing with someone you know, they, they're good mates with. Uh, look, these are all, you know, narrative based. I, I think 
for me, I'm happy to start with him. If he's not performing, you know, probably by the round five bye, he'll be out of my team. Yeah, and I, I'm probably the same. Um, I think what I would do to alleviate people's concern is a lot of people got burnt last year um, because they started him coming off an 85 point 2021. And then that was hugely disappointing because you paid, you know, 30% more than what you have to pay this round one. And I think that's the key. There's a lot more value when his price takes 30% less than this time last year. Uh, and that's why it's not really going to hurt you because like Wilfred said, I think that it's going to give you what you pay for at a minimum if it doesn't go that well. But I agree on the happiness side. And I think it is a it is a good narrative. You know, the mental side of things can make a big difference and it definitely for Fafita. I really think that, you know, Boyd there is going to make him happier. I think that they're going to want to make him happy at the Titans because they don't want him to leave. Yep. What does that mean? It means give David Fafita more ball. It also means playing for bloody 80 minutes, don't put him at centre, don't stuff around, okay? And, yep. you know, for the first two months of last year, he was playing 80 minutes. So I, I think that Holbrook just was clutching at straws a little bit and then Fafita also got hurt. You're not going to have that at the start. So the price point factor, the draw factor with the good matchups to start with, plus the fact that they want to keep him there, he's in a contract, he, he wants a contract too and he's playing with Boyd there, which he's happy about. I, I think that he's a pretty good starting option. Um, I will not argue with anyone that wants to go Cam Murray over him, Angus Crichton over him, even some of these other pods over him. That's all fine. But if you're feeling like David Fafita is your man for your second row forward and you're worried about it, pull the trigger. If, that, if you like him, don't worry about it. Just go for it. Uh, I'm probably going to go for it. He's there now, but I'm not going to commit to it 100%, obviously. Uh, big Tino. He's the other big gun. Almost 705000 now, he's really interesting because he's times last year I looked at him and went, Jesus Christ, Big Tino is an absolute weapon in Supercoach all of a sudden, and then yep. he'd fall off again. Uh, but he's basically only increased from 49 to 51. Um, his base attack went up from 8 to 12, though, so he had five extra points between his base base attack. Uh, I think there was more tackle breaks, more offloads, um, but the minutes were almost identical. So can he take that leap again? You know, Because if he can go up another five points again, I think that's going to be the key. Um, we need to mention him because he had some really good runs last year where he had like three round averages of 100 and stuff. Just some crazy runs. And you saw at the end of the year, he went 90, 109 and 70 to close off the last three games of the year against poor opposition. And he didn't have any tries in that. Had line breaks and try assists, but no tries. So you saw the potential. And this is a guy that's the captain of the Gold Coast Titans too. And he's still only 22 years old. In his next season, he's going to turn 23. He's going to really start coming into his own. It's very, very likely we do see another leap. He went from 56 to 67 points a game. He could go to 70 plus, um, and I could see it happening because he does have a lot of potential. There's no way you can pay for it round one, though. And I didn't like some of the inconsistency I saw, but, geez, he, he had a fantastic season. And if you look at, you know, a casual super coach fan that just comes into it this year, they're going to look at front row forward and look at the best ones. And Tino is going to be right there as an option. I I don't know how much to read into the fact that like those scores kind of came when he was, you know, officially moved to prop, if you want to call it that. He had a 10 on his back towards the back of the year. Yeah. Like I have to admit, you know, I wasn't watching the Titans that closely. And if I was, I was usually watching for feeder. So I don't know if he changed his gameplay as a result of that. 
maybe his role shifted. He did look a lot better, like for not really any reason. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, like just... I don't think he did anything. Like, it's not like he was ball playing a lot at 13. It just seemed like he was more involved and like his minutes were still really good. In fact, they got better, I think, because of injuries and stuff. But yeah, look, I, I don't know. That's the big question mark. And I think it's too much money to pay for someone you don't know. I can see myself targeting him a lot more in draft because he's got the handy jewel, which a lot of players don't. But as far as the actual classic, I just can't see myself doing it. And he might be the best dual front row forward, second row forward player in the game. Um, that that could very well happen this year. But can't pay 700k for a front row Give forward. Give me Torhu Harris, um, right? <laughs> if you're going to want that dual. Uh, well, yeah, there's, uh, yeah, maybe Torhu. We'll see. I, I think the Tino will outdo him. Yeah. But the other yeah. four that was really good last year was Bo Fermor. Um, and I can't believe we're talking about him as a gun, right? Because <laughs> he had the potential, but two years of scoring 40, 46 and 48 points a game. Comes in and scores 65 in 2022. But he played 80 minutes a game. That was part of the story. He did up his game as well. Um, his base and base attack was 58 points a game, which is really good for an edge. Mm-hmm. And his raw base at 46 is nice for an edge. But... He had a, 11 tries last year in an 80-minute starting role. Um, that was a little bit unexpected and also why Fafita wasn't getting some ball, I think, but looked really good. Um, had the last six games of last season, he averaged 87 points. So he had these runs, and if you look at that last six games, like that's a 25% of season run at the end where you just go far out. Both Fermor cannot stop finding tries, finding line breaks, finding offloads. He was just an attacking weapon the last couple of months. He's obviously another young guy, but because he doesn't have the big name of a Fafida and he doesn't have the, you know, the rep jumpers and stuff, no one's going to look at him. Um, I don't think anyone can at 688,000, but if you actually look at the numbers and stuff and his potential, like he was right up there with some of the other top secondary forwards, Wilfred. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think it was because he got to play on the left edge, which for the Titans, it seemed like, because AJ Brimson was there and, he seemed like he was a little bit better at ball playing than whoever was on the right side. So look, I I could see maybe more of a draft option. It's too much. It's too rich for me to pay that for, like uh, you know, uh, round one option. And I feel like he could play Origin this year. Honestly, like he was his form possibly warranted a selection last year for Queensland. So could be the new Capewell. Could, like the utility value of being able to put him at center and stuff. absolutely. So I could see that happening for sure. Which then, you know, coupled with the Titans' buy schedule, I think that would rule him out for being, you know, super coach option until later in the season potentially. But, yeah, look, I I, I could see him replicating 65. It's just because now he's not dual position. You can't put him in the center wing. I just can't see myself, no. you know. It just, why why go firmer when Fafita outscored him despite having a bad season, you know what I mean? Like, it just seems... Like Fafita's floor was already better than Firma's good season. And then you've got the whole list of other guys like Angus and, you know, even like, like Sean Lane was probably more like in terms oh, of. I love, love Lane. Yeah, he's probably more repeatable as far as his season goes. Like I think we could both say Lane and Firma both had career seasons. And I think I'd back Lane to be the one who repeats rather than Firma just because of the team he plays in. I agree. Uh, and look, Fermo, I think, will come out and do 65. Um, and that's the thing. Like, he, he doesn't have any upside to his ceiling that he's priced at at the moment. But I'll finish on him by saying he will annoy everybody by having, like, two games, maybe even in the first month, where he goes, like, 85 and 110. And everyone will be like, Jesus. 
Both verbal, killing it in the second row. And he'll score more tries. And he'll score more tries than Fafita, which will piss everyone off. (laughs) It's going to happen. But you you can't start with all those guys because it will obviously peter off as well. Big Bulls pod. Rimson, $673,900 if you want to start with Rimson this year. Uh, He came in and averaged 64 points a game. That was up from his 2021 of 61, but his best season in 2020 was still 74. So he's still 10 points off that potential. Um, one of the things that's, uh, it's a little bit night and day with this one. Like he looks like he's a real electric player at times. Uh, he looks like he's a bit of a game breaker and he looks like a massive pot at times. And he certainly was last year for people that brought him in. The big thing is that he's projected to play fullback, right? And seven games as a fullback in 2022 included his season low of 19 points, but he only averaged 53. Uh, his base was reasonably steady there, but only one in his seven games as a number one, he actually scored a try. Could not find the clutch attack stats at fullback. Uh, last five games of the season, he averaged 99 points. Uh, so, I mean, uh, it was all five games at the end of the season he was playing as a as a 5'8". Um, so the numbers seem to say Wilfred that he kills it at 5'8", and you expect that he kills it at fullback, but he doesn't. It's it's a little bit weird when you go through it. It is really weird, and I don't know how much of that is just because of Titans not being coached well, and it was a lot of, you know, ad-lib kind of footy where, you know, Brimson's pretty good at that. He just looks up and sees what he can do and, you know, eyes up footy, as they say, right? Where Whereas, like, I feel like in a more structured team, he might get more regular, consistent scoring. But no, like, I like that he's going back to fullback, uh, and it's just really tough. Like he's a, he's a, he's a really cheap price, and I could see him being a really ballsy pod to start the season, especially if he is uh, going to be available at five eighth. But yeah, I, I can't see myself doing it personally. Big balls pod for sure, but you know, second five eight, I, I do think that he's an option. Um, those fullback stats are very scary, though. Yeah. So I think that that's got to come into account. But if the Titans start well, you could have a Brimson instead of a, a Burton or something like that. And I can see the argument for it. But you need to be aware that he's going to have that really low floor uh, and he's not going to be kicking goals or anything like that. So I don't like it, but I could have somebody talk me into it based on the flashes that we've seen and the fact that his best footy is probably in front of him. When we're looking at mids and cheapies, uh, Tanner Boyd, 385000 Started only eight of 18 games last year. Uh, as a seven or six and had a 57 average. So all of a sudden that's a 20 point upside if he's starting. Um, he only averaged 32 minutes a game as a bench player for the other 10 games. So there's a, there is some value there, Wilfred. I really like putting him as a second hooker. That's where I've got him at the moment. But if he is starting, are we going to see that upside, do you think? The, the biggest thing for me, Tanner Boyd-wise, is his price tag and where he's he's got that dual positioning as well. I do think, I mean, the numbers are pretty good for him in terms of, you know, the games he started last year, played 80 minutes in the halves. I think he's sitting at a 57 average. You look at the games he played on the right side and when he took over the goal kicking, he's sitting on a 60 average for about five games. So pretty persuasive there, obviously small sample size. I do think having the goal kicking, if he's locked in and being able to play next to Fafita, those are both bonuses. I think that will see him outscore and, and outperform his price tag. I think overall, though, like I see him, like it's just about the position, right? You either have to give up a halfback or you give up a hooker. I know so many people have that Harry Grant, Brandon Smith combo or, or, you know, Robson or Smith or something like that. 
or they've got the Cleary and Hines combo and they've got to give up one of their hookers to, to fit Boyd in. So that's the difficulty. I feel like that will keep his uh, roster percentage down. But I can see him being potentially 20 points undervalued. And, you know, that you look at that little kind of run, if he goes and starts well and he, he makes 150 grand, 200 grand before the buys, like you're laughing, right? That's like going to help you afford an extra gun basically for buy coverage. Oh, it can be massive. And like I, I think it's hard to put him in your halves, but he's actually at a really good price point as your second hooker. I, I really like that. And what I will say to people is that a lot of people are talking up Hodgson and obviously there was muscle watch the other day with his massive biceps on the training paddock <laughs> and that picture going around and stuff. But look, I would much rather Boyd over Hodgson because Hodgson Same. is at the tail end of his career coming off major injuries and uh, has shown to be mud before. Uh, and Boyd has shown to not be mud. Um, his price the same, has massively more upside and he's a young guy starting out. It's it's night and day for me. I I like Boyd much more now. Obviously, Boyd has to be starting. But the other thing too is that if Boyd's starting in the halves, you know he's probably going to play eighty minutes, right? If Hodgson starts at nine, you don't know what they're going to do with his minutes straight up. You know, they might only play 55, 60 or whatever. It's it's Boyd all the way for me, and I really like that hooker setup. Like I don't want to. It's almost like front row forward hooker now. Like for round one. I want to stack my fullback and my halves as much as I can. And, and certainly second rowers, there's good value there, but there's some really good upswing guns there too. I'd rather not spend on my front rowers and on my hookers. Um, one hooker is great. Like you can start with Grant if you want, but then starting with Grant and spending on that, Boyd's the perfect one at 385K to have on the bench. Um, at the moment, I've actually got Cheese and, and Boyd because I'm banking on Cheese to have a, a much better year and be able to start him to start with. That might change. Maybe I'll, I'll make one of them Grant, but... He's a really good spot as a second hooker. And certainly if you're looking at guys like Hodgson, I'd prefer Tanner Boyd if he's starting in the halves over Hodgson. Yeah, look, I think that's pretty persuasive. I see Cheese as a great option to start with, and he's going to be one of my two hookers. I just see him, you know, outperforming his price tag, and he could be someone you can actually rely upon every week as a reserve. Just, um, yeah, it comes down to, for me, like that second halfback spot, so either you pay up for the two guns, right, or you pay up for someone who's still, you know, six hundred to seven hundred thousand as your second halfback, and it's still it's quite a drop to get to someone like a Tanner Boyd. So I, I do feel it comes down to team structure and how many guns you want elsewhere. But I can certainly get on board with a cheese Boyd combo if you're going to have two gun or like one gun and one big balls pod in your second halfback spot. Yep. And the other big GP that might be coming up is a real cheapy uh, guy that's going to debut potentially. Um, it's rumoured that Khan Pereira is going to be on one of the wings. Uh, so there's not really much to talk about because he hasn't got any career games. It's just sort of a shout-out to people that you might want to plug him in your centre wing early on because if he does get a starting spot, Wilfred, it's just one of those things in Supercoach where you get a bottom price centre wing that's that's got a good job security and starting. You just need to throw them in for round one, right? So he's one to people's hat to 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 maybe put in their centre wing. Yeah, the only question mark is whether he does have that good job security. I think one of the issues is Brian Kelly's only out till round three. I mean, at the same time, Brian Kelly was dropped at the back end of last year, so I don't know if um, you know. There's just that tiny little question mark there. But again, bottom dollar, starting centre wing for at least a couple of rounds, you might as well throw him in and hope for an injury and or whatever that he gets a run later in the season to make some money. So mm. can't be picky sometimes there. <laughs> Definitely. And I mean, you mentioned uh, 
Brian Kelly's out. Um, they, it's one of those things with the Titans where in the past years, uh, they have had some okay attacking weapons or it's looked like it hasn't worked. But, you know, in the past, guys like Corey Thompson, certainly Brian Kelly at times was uh, a, a bit of a super coach favorite for a short period to get in for round one when he was cheap. Philip Sammy has even gone through his little runs and stuff. But looking at this draw, you go, well, there's a few good games, and especially after they come out of that bye, you think that some of their centre wings are going to score some good points. There just doesn't seem to be any options for Supercoach. Did you spy anything here you wanted to add in for the Titans? Not really. I mean, the only thing I would say, like if you really want to get back onto the Big Balls pod kind of uh, group category, I would say Aaron Clark is someone you could really think, if he actually gets that starting lock spot, it's really quite speculative. But he had that, you know, three or four game stretch where he did play as the starting 13 and he went quite well. I think um, if I'm just double checking, I think he scored 84, 74, 46. And then he had a fourth game where he scored 35 and 55 minutes, but that was against the storm where lots of middles struggle against him. So mm. I'm not saying it's, <laughs> it's definitely a big balls pod, but he's quite affordable. And, you know, that was, those scores are all base. Like I think he had um 74, 56 and 48 in base and base attack in those three bigger games that he had. So uh, again, big balls pod, not someone for me myself, especially if I've got feeder in there. I think that's something that we've got to be mindful of for the teams that got early buys, like, uh, you know, Titans, you can't have two guys in the same team that are, you know, playing the same buy. Like round five, you'd have, you know, two thirds of your starting back row gone. Like that's just going to cripple your score for the week. Yeah. And look, if you are going for, say, for feeder and you're really sold on someone like Brimson, um, Wilfred makes a real good point where you, you should really consider an alternative to Brimson. Like if you're t- torn on on Burton and Brimson, something like that, and you don't know what to do and you're going to definitely start with David Fafita, get rid of Brimson because you don't want to carry those two heavily priced guys at almost 700k each early on into that round five buy unless you plan on making some big trades. So um, really good point that Wilfred makes and one of the strategies that you should probably employ with the Gold Coast Titans don't stack up on them, but I don't think we will be anyway because there isn't too many fantastic options. Wilfred, that does conclude the Gold Coast Titans and the podcast for this week. Thank you so much for jumping on board. It's always great to chat Broncos and footy with you. Apologies yeah. again for derailing all the Broncos chat. I, I obviously got on my soapbox and couldn't help myself. <laughs> you know what was coming. You knew what was coming. Oh, look. <laughs> We bring you on for the hot takes, mate. That's all right. We'll, we'll get you on again in the mid-season when there are <laughs> there's wooden spoon calls or something. We'll see what you get out say. Of <laughs> uh, cheers, Wilfred. Well, you can catch Wilfred on the Supercoach Champions podcast. Fantastic Supercoach podcast. Jump on there and have a listen to as well um, for this podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars. Definitely make sure that you download, you subscribe, you share. You can find us on Amazon, on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on Spotify. We are everywhere. All the comments and stuff have been great. Had some really positive feedback, some really nice direct messages and stuff. Love it. Like I said today to two different people, you know, that's the sort of feedback that I need to keep going. It really helps when you get positive feedback uh, because, you know, it's all for the love of the game of Supercoach and it's all for the love of rugby league. So thank you very much. Keep it on going. Keep on downloading. Keep on sharing. We'll be back for two more team previews again for Supercoach next week. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on. Go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on.